listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes from makeuseof.com. Welcome to the show. My name is Christian Corley, and in a packed show this week, I am hosting solo. But uh, don't worry, because later on in the show, we will have contributions from Ben Stegner and from Gavin Phillips. Now, uh, if this is your very first time listening to the Really Useful Podcast, uh, this is a good opportunity for me to explain how things go. We kick off with the latest tech news that matters. We then move on to tips and tricks that will help you make better use out of the technology around you, or perhaps anything that you're planning to buy. And then we move on to some recommendations. Now, this week, there are no recommendations. It's a sort of off-the-wall thing that we choose often at the last moment, because just because of the way our industry works and uh, items that we might have just finished with or just finished reviewing uh, popping up as an example. So uh, this time there are no recommendations because, as I say, I'm hosting solo. So what we'll do is we'll go through a small bit of tech news and then we will go on to the tips and tricks. So tech news, there's a couple of interesting things that we need to highlight The first thing is, in the UK at the moment, there's a bank holiday flight outage. And no one knows exactly what's happened. Supposedly, it's been claimed to be a software error. It seems a little bit naive to accept that as being the case in 2023, that a software error can knock out the entire air traffic control for an entire country without anyone noticing it suggests, you know, put like that, that a third party rogue state might be involved or, you know, some kind of criminal actor instead. We don't have the full details about this at the moment. And, you know, there's always a, a risk of this happening to major networks like air traffic control. But the fact that uh, it was so localised and, you know, the UK has left the European Union, but you know, their air traffic control systems are to a considerable extent still integrated. The fact that it was so targeted suggests that this is less to do with software error or user error and more to do with something more, shall we say, determined. We'll see how that uh, develops over the next few weeks. There is one other thing that I want to uh, take a look at. Uh, We, um, since the pandemic, uh, have been used to the idea of working from home. Now, some people take that to extremes and sit in their pants all day to do their jobs. We've seen the evidence on social media, and it's, uh, well, I mean, it doesn't make for pretty viewing, does it? The chief of Zoom, which essentially made its name in 2020, 2021, during those pandemic years, uh, has stated um, that, well, essentially... Zoom isn't great for creativity. Uh, Eric Yuan has said quite often, you come up with great ideas, but when we are all on Zoom, it's really hard. We cannot have a great conversation. We cannot debate each other well because everyone tends to be very friendly when you join a Zoom call. 
Now, this is interesting because it's pretty much what critics of Zoom have been saying. A lot of uh, work, a lot of meetings, a lot of get-togethers, collaborations have moved from face-to-face to the digital realm over the past few years. So much so that, you know, we've taken the mickey uh, extensively on previous editions of the Really Useful Podcast over Mark Zuckerberg's plan for the metaverse um, over on Facebook. That was funny little... Funny little caricature creatures that are supposed to represent us in meetings have absolutely no place in uh, in civilized society. Uh, let's put it that way. So, for um, everyone to say this, I think maybe underlines that there is a problem with video calling when it comes to collaboration. Now. It has been compared with a man called Gerald Ratner, Ratner, who in 1991 um, essentially caused the end of his own business, Ratner's Jewellery, by um, saying that his products were total crap. Now, I I don't think that is the case here at all. I think Eric Yuan has been very astute. He knows exactly what the strengths and weaknesses of Zoom are. And perhaps with the move of working from home you know, it's starting to decline and people are starting to go back into offices and in some cases being demanded to return to the offices or working in a more hybrid manner if businesses have uh, discarded with property along the way in order to uh, make ends meet and balance the books. I think Eric Yuan is quite right to uh, say this and we're seeing evidence that backs him up. You know, he's he's not saying this in order to cause a... He, ha- he hasn't... He's reacting to what is already happening. He isn't leading the uh, leading the pack here. He's this is a reactive statement. Would be interesting to know if you're using Zoom and similar technologies more or less at the moment. So do uh, get in touch and let us know. Okay, so as promised, here's a bit of uh, tech tippery and trickery from myself, Gavin Phillips, and Ben Stegner. Now, a few weeks ago, I reviewed the Retroid Pocket 3 Plus. I took it on holiday, in fact, and took all the photos for the review on holiday. Um, what I didn't uh, foresee was the fact that I didn't load any ROMs up because I thought I'd be able to just tr- easily transfer them uh, via my um, Dropbox through my phone's internet sharing connection to the Retroid Pocket 3 because it runs on Android. Um, but my God, I had trouble with that. Um, but anyway, that's an aside. Um We've um, got an interesting guide I'll make use of as to why gamers should buy a retro handheld. And, uh, I mean, it starts off with a Retroid Pocket 3. Um, I reviewed the Retroid Pocket 3 Plus. More or less the same device, but uh, a little bit uh, uh, souped up, shall we say. Um, And there's some good arguments here. Now, number one, retro handhelds can emulate a huge number of games across a vast selection of platforms. Number two, cloud gaming makes handhelds more exciting. Now, with the Retroid... um, as I say, it runs Android, so you have access to any of the cloud streaming services that run on Android, which includes Xbox and Steam Link um, for inter-network at home, and GeForce Now. Um, retro handhelds have great battery life, certainly better than another piece of kit I've been using, which I'll uh, mention a little bit later. Um, and, and the more recent ones have far better displays than any classic uh, handheld that you could um, 
expect to use. And they're bet- they are better than mobile gaming, actually. This is another thing that I found with Retroid um, Pocket 3+. Plus. Um, I not only used some ROMs, I um, installed some of the games that I've got from my Android library um, from the Sega collection on Android. Okay, and okay. Um, Such as Golden Axe and, um, uh, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. And I found that far better, far far more responsive controls than um, struggling to use that uh, touchscreen option. So um, I um, I'm I to be honest with you, I think the Retro Pocket Three is uh, Three Plus is probably the best thing I've reviewed this year, and certainly in terms of an entertainment device. Anyway, I'm just zipping its case up there because I was holding it while we were talking. Um, so it's a good guide there. By, uh, I should probably give myself one of these. I have so many games. I mean, I still have my old, I have my Game Boy Color. I have my Game Boy Pocket Advance. I have all my old systems, but I never, I, mean, I have so many modern games to play that I'm not like itching to break those out again necessarily, yeah. but it would be nice. I, I think to me, I think the, the better display is the biggest boon. Like trying to go back and play a game where like you have to be in like perfect lighting on those older systems. Like seeing that on like a modern LCD would just be so nice and crisp. Um, so I should probably invest in one of those. You like the Retroid better than the uh, like the Analog Pocket? It's the one I'm most familiar with, just from the. I ha- oh, I would love to use an Analog Pocket, but because of the um, the huge uh, waiting list, I sort of um, gave up with that. Um, the 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 Retroid Pocket and the um, Evercade XP are the ones I used the most. Interesting thing. I don't know what this means. I've got R Type on both of them. Okay, on the Evercade EXP. I'm absolutely. I won't say I'm awesome at R type, but I can get. I can get to the end of the first level using the PC Engine emulator on the um, Retro Pocket Three Plus. I can't get even halfway through the first level. I can't even get to the boss. It's absolutely mm. embarrassing. I got so frustrated with it, and the only thing I can think of is that the version on the Evercade XP is the original arcade version, and the version on the that I'm using is the PC Engine port on the Retroid Pocket 3 Plus. And maybe I'm just, you know, more tuned to the arcade version, or maybe there's a difference in screen dimensions or something that I'm uh, more uh, suited to playing the original arcade version. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I, I'm regular listeners on now. I'm a little bit mad about retro games because, you know, most games are retro these days. The, the, the fact that we're sort of, you know, 50 years through an industry of gaming, most of the games came out in the past. It's a huge library to um, to uh, revisit. And in many cases, just you know, with that stat of 87%, I would imagine, I haven't even played 80, 87% of games that have been released. Yeah, that is a weird thought, like we were talking about before we started, just how many games there are and how many are disappearing. I, there's so many modern games that I want to play. I, don't know, I mean, modern is kind of a vague term, but like I played the first Pikmin in the last week. It was on GameCube. It came out in 01 or 02, I want to say. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that game. Like I, I don't feel like it, I don't think it aged that much. Even playing Sly 3, like I said, that game's from 05. It doesn't feel like it aged that much. I mean, yeah, there's like just quality of life stuff that are in modern games that, that those games don't have just because of time. But I mean, it's always, it's fun to me to play older games like that and see with a modern lens, like how much they got right. Like even though they're that old, you know, like it's yeah. refreshing when an older game doesn't like 
you don't have to tell someone like, okay, this game's really old, so it's very like clunk. Like imagine playing like the first Zelda. That's a perfect example of what I mean. Like it's a good game, but it's so dated in so many ways that like it comes with all kinds of caveats if you tell someone to play it. So it's I mean, it's still fun to play and experience in its time, obviously, but it's always cool when you get to experience an older game that feels like it hasn't aged much. <laughs> Now, as is uh, par for the course with the really useful podcast in 2023, we've already mentioned ChatGPT and uh, generative AI seems to be something that we are more and more focused on, not just as a website and a podcast, but it's happening everywhere around us. I was in a conversation with some uh, comedy writers recently. Um, They're concerned about AI and whether or not they can use it or whether they should be afraid of it. I'm pretty sure that they can use it uh, based on the... uh, comedy AI attempts that we had a few weeks ago on this show. But there are various ways that ChatGPT in particular has been proposed to um, that could earn money, side gigs. Are they legit money-making opportunities or are they an overhyped scam? Uh, one of our Make Use of Rights has looked at this. I'm just going to go through some of the options here and then we'll have a discussion about them. Um, YouTube script writing, Academy or academic, beg your pardon, essay writing, copywriting and blogging, caption writing, selling diet and fitness programs, coding websites, email marketing, creating and selling prompts. That's eight things there. I would say possibly three of them are advantageous. Um, I think we all know, we've all tried, I mean... I've had mixed results with playing around with the copywriting and blogging options of ChatGPT. I just don't find it realistic. Um, You get a slight advantage if you ask it to do it in the voice of someone. So there there was one that I um, created as a test on uh, GamingRetro.co.uk, which I asked it to write in the manner of Robert X. Cringely, who isn't even a real person. It's a pseudonym for various tech journalists. And then I did another one to ask it to write in the style of uh, Jeremy Clarkson. Um, But they're very sort of obvious, I I should say. There's there's no subtlety to them. I mean, you've had a look at this. Is there anything that stands out to you as being a real option and and conversely something that's like a a big red flag? Uh, I think some of the ones that are interesting uh, in that I think you could use or you could integrate... Um, chat GPT into these jobs quite simply in that if you use it as a tool for prompting, outlining uh, and drafting, perhaps you could use those prompts and what have you and, and build upon them to turn them into a feasible product. From the times that I have used uh, chat GPT and experimented with it, um, and I don't know if this was because, um, I don't want to sound pompous, but because we write for a living, you notice some of the issues in the language that it uses, like yeah. some of it becomes quite dry and dull at times and what have you. Um, and like I said, I don't want to sound like, oh, because I'm a writer or whatever, but I don't think it necessarily does the job that you would want it to do, especially for something like like the top um, example in this article, which is YouTube script writing. Yeah. I wouldn't use an AI for a YouTube script because it wouldn't sound like you were speaking um, as a human. 
because you still want to convey an amount of uh, emotional awareness. You want to sound like realistic, uh, and you also want to sound natural. And if you, I know when I've read from my own YouTube scripts that I've written for the few videos that I've done, when watching them back now, I'm like, God, I should not read from a script, period. <laughs> yeah. Let alone one that was written by an AI rather than a human. You know what I mean? Well, do you know, coming in on that YouTube script writing, I would not be surprised if this is, if it isn't already happening now, it's something that's going to happen very soon with some very big channels because I know for a fact that one of the biggest factual channels on YouTube pays an absolute pittance to its script writers. Mm. Well, it won't be long before, um, I think as we talked about maybe last week with the AI, um, AI voices, where you can marry the two. So you take your YouTube script written by an AI, you plug it into whatever AI voice tool you're using, perhaps even one that has been trained upon your voice if you've already used YouTube or, or done a lot of spoken word and what have you. And it will just sound like you, which would be incredible. Uh, we're sort of getting beyond the point here a little bit. But I think similar for academic essay writing, you could take some of the information given to you by ChatGPT. But as we've seen countless times already, uh, ChatGPT and especially GPT 3.5, uh, which was sort of the, the first one that released that became super popular, is all too happy to spit out inaccuracies and present it as fact. So if you did that alone and attempted to copy paste what ChatGPT had given to you, you would quickly be out of an academic essay writing job because everyone would fail all the time. So are they legit? They can be, but, you know, it's very much, mm. it's a building block, isn't it? It is not the end product. I think that's the yeah. important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I'd add another one actually as well, Christian, on the Coding okay. Websites one. Um, yeah. So I was watching a video from uh, the, the cybersecurity guy, Marcus Hutchins, um, and he was going through, he built a website using GPT-4 and put it onto his screen and was going through it. And he's, you know, he's very good at security and what have you. And he was like, so I've built this website. I haven't changed a single thing. I'm going to go through it now and show you every vulnerability that GPT for uh, GPT has put into this website without meaning to. Yeah. But because of the nature of GPT and chat GPT, because it's been trained upon all the data on the internet, basically. Yeah. And so in this example, it goes to like stack overflow or whatever. And it takes code maybe written by a 10 year old script kiddie that goes, I just wrote this code, blah, blah, blah. And it's been uploaded but there's no cross-checking it to make sure that it is okay. There's no contextual analysis to make sure that that code doesn't contain vulnerabilities or what have you. So he went through and was like, that's dangerous, that's dangerous, that's dangerous. And he's like, as a professional hacker, I would own this site within minutes. You know, it's it's terrible. You shouldn't do this. Yeah. I'm, I'm just uh, something occurred to me. There's a likening to... in. In some respects, and certainly when it comes to some designs and they've just been used for the first time, um, ChatGPT is a sort of, um, I don't know what the, what the right angle of this would be, how I would phrase it correctly, but a sort of a 3D printing for people who aren't creative. Yeah, I can see what you mean, yeah. You know what I'm saying? That you have something, you put it in, and you're expecting 
A to come out, but actually what comes out is probably, you know, B or certainly needs a few revisions yeah. in order to get it to the state of what you actually want it to be. It needs a lot more preparation than people think they need to give it. Uh, so yeah, yeah, anyway, it's um, there are side gigs, there are ways of making money with it, but I think really you need to just remember that it is building blocks at, at best. We're going to move on now to a completely different topic that I don't have lined up in preparation, Gavin, which is really sloppy of me. I realise that now. Um, and it's about DOSBox. <laughs> ah, DOSBox DOS is fantastic. It is. DOSBox and MS-DOS. Now, look, I... Um, Basically, what I've written a couple of, well, I've written one guide and I've updated an old guide. Basically, what happened is I found that <laughs> I'm just so bad at this, I I can't throw things away. I've, I found a laptop bag in my mum and dad's loft a few months ago. I thought, well, that must be mine. I looked in it and there was what I think is my very first laptop, which um, was going to get binned, and I took it to a meeting. Uh, with some publishers in 2000 and blah, blah, blah. And, and I was so there's basically me a designer and these two publisher guys who wanted to publish a calendar based upon some artwork from my colleague and words by me and basically it fell it fell apart it fell through but I took this laptop with me to um, you know make notes and show them some examples of what been done or what we've both done so far and the battery ran out after about 30 minutes but the important <laughs> thing is this laptop, it was an MS-DOS laptop, and it got me thinking. Um, I could, I could, you know, power it up and install some games on it, but it turned out that uh, there's a problem with the hard disk drive, so I'm going to have to uh, install something different, such as probably FreeDOS. Now, MS-DOS, if you don't know, was a command-line operating system, MS-DOS meaning Microsoft DOS, although there's an alternative version called PC-DOS, which is essentially exactly the same thing, but Microsoft um, was licensed to create PC-DOS for IBM. Eventually, Windows came along. Windows ran on MS-DOS initially with Windows 1 through 3.1 through 95, when Windows, and also Windows 98, when Windows XP came along, uh, it was completely different. Uh, it was based on different technology, so it didn't need MS-DOS so much. Although there's uh, traces of MS-DOS all the way up to Windows 8.1, I think I'm right in saying. So I've written a complete guide on what MS-DOS is and is it still used? How does it dif differ from Windows? But And and because of that, I thought, best re revisit this, how to use DOSBox to play retro PC games on any device. And um, I'm I mean, I use DOSBox on my computer now in order to play... Um, Championship Manager 99-2000. But DOSBox will work on almost anything. I didn't mention it in the article, but you can even get it to work on iOS, but only if you've um, used Jailbreak. But, you know, you can get DOSBox for Windows, Mac, Linux, all the Linuxes, FreeBSD, uh, Android. Potentially, I suppose, you could probably run it on an Android TV as well. It's um, just such good software. It basically creates... a an MS-DOS PC environment that you can then install old games. And when I say old games, I mean, I'm talking a 20-year range from 1981 through to around 2001, which is when uh, games stopped requiring MS-DOS. So that's a big library of PC games that you could be um, playing. It's uh, it's phenomenally large. And, I mean, I, I know most of those titles are now available through uh, abandonware really aren't they yeah um, or, or otherwise they're on gog.com with ms uh, with dosbox built into them so you don't really need to install dosbox but even so yeah yeah 
It's phenomenal, really. My favorite. I used it to play a game called Quarantine, which I don't know if you remember, where you're you're driving a taxi through this sort of cyber, uh, sci-fi sort of future world, where you have weapons and what have you on your taxi. Right. But I remember playing it on a demo that I bought at a village fete. Oh, <laughs> like donkeys years ago and it was obviously been taken off the front of a pc mag from the time and stuck in yeah. a box and someone was like well we're selling these for I know, 10p each or something and it stuck with me for years and i could never remember what it was called until um i went on the reddit uh forum uh, tip of my joystick which is you type in uh oh i just i remember these features from this game and people try and figure out what it was yeah, and they yeah, did yeah. And uh, and lo and behold, it was that game, and you could fire it up in in DOSBox and relive the entire thing just as it was. It's amazing. Fantastic. I am. Um, do you know when I was preparing the other article, I was looking for a, a floppy disk, which I thought I had, which was just a Windows boot disk um, from mm. the XP days, just just as an illustration. Couldn't find it, so I thought, where on earth is this disk? Because I know I've got the disk. It turned out it was at my mum and dad's house, with a pile of discs. Which I thought, hold on a minute, these aren't PC discs. These must be Amiga discs. Cause oh, wow. They've got a typed label on them. I don't know how. I don't know if I did it. Um, <laughs> um, so with, with several games on, I'm thinking, well, those those weren't PC games. We never had those on PC. They must be mine. But, yeah. Uh, that's just a little aside there. So, MS-DOS, a thing that, used, that we used to have before Windows. And the, the, the thing about MS-DOS, of course... And uh, Windows 3.1, etc., etc. I was always um, completely baffled by <laughs> the arrival of the PC in Windows 3.1 and then Windows 95. Because, yeah, the, the whole thing about, oh, look, it's an icon-driven interface. And I was like, well, I've been using an Amiga for five years. What's the big deal? <laughs> We've had this for years. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there you go. That's just how things turn out, isn't it? It's like VHS and uh, Betamax and uh, those other things. HD DVD versus Blu-ray. It's it's always the wrong one that uh, tends to come along and uh, barnstorm everything. Okay, I'm going to throw it over to you, mate. I've stopped buying PCs, okay? I used to love buying... Um, well, I never bought PCs. I always built PCs. And um, I don't know, I just stick with laptops. Not because I don't like it. There might be a time element to it. Um, but, I mean, looking around, there's like three laptops in here. And there's a gaming... Comp there's a, I've got this mini gaming machine that I've got to review as well. It is not a PC. It's not a, a DIY gaming rig. Now, when you're um, buying this stuff, you need to make sure that everything's compatible, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the biggest things and one of the big issues you can run into when trying to uh, either build a new PC or maybe if you've already got one, you're trying to upgrade it and you don't quite know what you're going to do it. So uh, I've written an article on uh, make use of uh, seven ways to check if your PC parts are compatible before you buy. So I'll just run through the list and then I will uh, elaborate a bit more on my on my favorite options. Okay. So uh, number one, PC Part Picker. Uh, it's a, uh, a, um, a go-to website for checking compatible hardware. You input what you've got or what you want to buy and it shows you uh, what you can match with. It's really useful. Uh, head to the manufacturer website. Surprisingly or unsurprisingly, the guys that make the hardware are pretty good at knowing uh, what it works with. You, you might be surprised to know. Surely not. Um, 
Surely not, not those guys. Uh, the third option is a website called uh, GPU Check. Uh, this is quite a handy one because you can put in your existing uh, CPU, the central processing unit, and your and your graphics card, and then you can say what you want to upgrade either one of them to, and it shows you the performance differences and how well they'll work together. So that's quite a handy tool. Uh, number four the Newegg Custom PC Builder. Um, so this is similar to PC Part Picker in, in many ways. You can go through and select individual items, but they also recently introduced uh, a build with AI tool, which is really handy. So you write in, um, I want to play a, a high quality, I want a high quality computer that can play video games at a high level. And it will give you three different options, three price ranges, um, and you can select from them and it's a pre-built list. So that's really handy. Um, number five, this was an interesting one. Uh, Google Bard um, on the on the topic of AI chatbots. Um, so I asked Google Bard to create a, a computer spec list, uh, making sure all of the parts were compatible. Right. And within seconds, it had created a list. Um, each item in the list uh, had its own individual link to the website you could buy it on. Should have checked if they were affiliate links. That would be interesting, mm. wouldn't it? Uh, but I don't think they were. And then you could use that in another way as well. So if you have a list of hardware that you think you want to buy, you can throw it into Google Bard and say, is this hardware compatible? And uh, within seconds, it confirms or says you need to tweak this. So that was really handy. Another one you should look out for is power supply calculators. There's quite a few of them online linked within this article, uh, but options include uh, Outer Vision, Cooler Master, uh, and Be Quiet. And you can input the hardware you've got and it will tell you the type of power supply unit that you need and make sure that's compatible. Uh, and the final option is one that everybody should do every now and then. Uh, and it's just check out forums and communities. Uh, so places like Linus Tech Tips forums, Reddit's uh, Build a PC subreddit. Uh, and there's many, many more online. But there's people in these forums that are often really, really helpful uh, and will help you uh, help make sure that you buy bits of hardware that go together. Uh, Christian, have you ever used any of these uh, sites uh, or services? I think I have used PC Part Picker a long, long time ago. And I've probably used Newegg as well again a while ago um do you know i um the very first time i built a pc it was about 1999 2000 sort of time and it was a little bit tricky i think i made a mistake with the purchasing and a friend uh flatmate in fact uh, helped me out with it and it was all sorted but do you know what it wasn't the the problem the main problem i had wasn't the buying it was the assembly because and this is something that, um, I mean, on the face of it, assembling a PC is relatively easy, but there are things, and, and this doesn't happen so much now, I don't think, but um, basically a tiny, tiny shard of um, one of the shields, and I think it was the PS2 mouse shield um, on the back plate, um, split off and landed on the motherboard. And we oh, didn't God. know about it until the computer refused to boot. And that it had shorted it, so uh, those things tend to come more sort of like pre um, pre pressed out these days, don't they? Um, certainly, the last time I built one, which was about five years ago, for my dad, that was the case. But uh, just one other thing, 
I would notice, I, I would um, highlight here, is this um, power supply calculator. I once bought a graphics card, and it looked like it was going to be the solution. To, in fact, it was one of those sort of double-slot PCI ones. No, it wasn't PCI. Uh -huh. It wasn't PCI. It was um, AGP. That's how long ago it was. Um, it was double-slot <laughs> AGP. And I thought this was going to be the, the, the answer to all my um, playing Half-Life 2 in high highest resolution possible <laughs> problems. <laughs> and, of course, the power supply unit wasn't up to it. So it would run for about five minutes and crash, run five minutes and crash, because it wasn't getting the amount of power that it needed. So having the right power supply for your PC specification is absolutely vital, isn't it? And I think a lot of people overlook it. Oh, I think, yeah, it can lead to a lot of issues, especially with the latest um, NVIDIA RTX 40 series GPUs, which the 4090 alone, I think, requires 600 watts off the top wow. of my head, which is a really a substantial amount of power for something that's creating graphics on your computer. Obviously, it does that to an extremely high level and it looks fantastic but there's also been issues with um power connectors overheating melting if the Oof. connector isn't secured right or you haven't got quite the right power supply unit so yeah really worth checking yeah, out definitely excellent tips Well, if you've made it this far on a normal show, you'd be heading into the recommendations section. But as I stated earlier on, uh, there is no recommendations section this week. We're going to uh, just go straight into the end of the show. So if anything has proved useful to you and piqued your interest, thought, oh, I know someone who could do with that information, then please share this podcast or the link to the item that we're discussing. You'll find that in the show notes to that person and... If you're feeling particularly generous, we would really appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts. You'll find a link to that in the show notes as well. Five-star reviews will be read out on future editions of the Really Useful Podcast. So you've been listening to the Really Useful Podcast, the tech podcast designed for technophobes from makeuseof.com. We'll be back with a new show next week. Until then, it's goodbye from us.